Heather Gray here, the Lime Boss. Thank you for joining us on another amazing episode of the Lime Boss podcast. Uh, we are, I'm just so excited today. We've got Dorothy Leland from LymeDisease.org and her daughter, Rachel. And we're going to be talking about Rachel's resilience through Lyme disease as a teenager because, you know, that's one demographic that I haven't seen a whole lot of representation around. We know we've got Olivia from Live Lime, right? And I mean, off the top of my head, that's about it that I can think of. You know, and I myself was bit by a tick when I was 13 and started developing symptoms when I was 15. And so it is a very, it's a story that needs to be told a little bit more often because uh, children, juvenile di uh, li uh, Lyme shows up a lot different than adult. And so I'm, I'm excited to dive deeper into this and then to also just spread the awareness of an awesome book and I mean, the fact that you wrote one, like that's, that's a huge, comp you know, not only did you, you know, overcome Lyme disease, but then you wrote a book about it. So woohoo. <laughs> Welcome everyone, Dorothy and Rachel to the show. So excited Thank to have you. you. Thank you. Yay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, Rachel's probably going to end up talking a little bit more. So actually, why don't we start with Dorothy? Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us the kind of what you do with LymeDisease.org and, and all that jazz. Okay. Well, um, I, my name is Dorothy Leland, and at the moment I'm president of LymeDisease.org, but I've been involved with it for a long time. Uh, it used to be called the California Lyme Disease Association when I first got involved with it, changed our name some time back. I do. Um, I got involved with it because my daughter became very sick when she was 13. And it, like so many people, it, you don't find out right away what the problem is. You just know you got problems. And uh, she was uh, intensely ill and uh, body-wide pain, and she needed a wheelchair to get around. And we just, it was really hideous, and we got no support from the mainstream medical <laughs> association. You know, Big shock. Yeah, but it was to us. It yeah, was I know. To us, I know. As as it is to other people in that situation, and so uh, we, uh, it was um, quite, uh, you know, it was it was it was quite a ride. And um, once my daughter was better after a number of after three years in the wheelchair and other issues, uh, I started getting involved in activism because like a lot of people, you just you're in the midst of this and you say, this is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong. People should be able to get the help that they need. And so um, but this particular book. Uh, Finding Resilience, A Teen's Journey Through Lyme Disease, really came out of the journal that Rachel kept uh, during the worst of her illness, starting when she was 13. And I'm going to let her talk a little bit about that. That's incredible. Does anybody ever call you Madam President? And can I can I start? <laughs> no. No, I would never call that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's a president, Madam President. Awesome. Yes, Miss Rachel, let's hear from you. Yes. So I, um, yeah, so I am currently 32 and, um, I, yeah. My God, you don't look at, you look like 22. You've got <laughs> just such a fresh baby face. I want to reach through and, and pinch your cheeks, but oh my gosh, 32. Okay. But, um, but yes. So, well, thank you. Um, but yeah, so I got sick when I was 13. Um, and so that is, soccer oh, game. what Talk about no, soccer. Okay. My mom's sitting here and uh, <laughs> telling me where to start here. But so, um, yes, yeah, so I was saying I got sick when I was 13, but I actually had 
a lot of knee pain for many years. I was a soccer player and competitive year round. Um, and one day I fell and sprained my wrist. And then even though I sprained my wrist, we found that my knee pain just exploded and it went to my ankles. And I started just having all of this body-wide cascade of symptoms. And it made absolutely no sense to us because I was what we thought a healthy 13-year-old who just fell and sprained her wrist. And um, within a couple of weeks, I was on crutches because of my knee pain and my ankle pain. And then a couple of weeks later, I was in a wheelchair. And so my family was going, we were going to doctor, you know, doctor after doctor, trying to figure out what was going on. But it was a very bizarre story to tell because I'd fallen and hurt my wrist. Um, and we didn't find out until much later that the Lyme had been brewing under the surface and had been, you know, giving me knee pain for a while, but just was waiting to take over until I had like an injury and it just kind of, you know, took that opportunity to jump on it. That knee stuff is no joke. I was a basketball player when I when I was that age as well and got Lyme and my knee pain, my right knee would just swell to like two or three times its size for just wow. no reason. It was just so crazy. But it sounds yeah. like you had more physical stuff. I had a lot more cognitive stuff. I ended up in the psych ward for suicide attempts. And so, so it did really I. Affected. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it really affected my brain and my gut a lot. Not as yeah. much as my joints. But you brought up one great big point about the knee going to the to the ankle, to the wrist. You know how uh, migrating pain is one out of six diseases that is a side effect of Lyme disease. And so that's that's a really great indication, folks, that if you hear of somebody saying they've got migrating pain going on, you really should be thinking of Lyme disease, not hypochondriac. Exactly, which is an issue uh, we know many people struggle with. And that was a big thing that we struggled with. And we talk about that a lot in the book that, you know, I looked healthy on the outside. And so we'd go to these doctors and they would just at first they believed us. But then the more that you keep going back and the more you keep not getting better by their Advil treatment or whatever, um, then then they started kind of switching their tune and thinking that I was making it up and I wanted to get out of school and, and that I, I wanted to, you know, I don't have attention, you know, cause you know, a year round soccer player doesn't get enough attention apparently. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that was, so it started with physical symptoms in like my knees, my ankles, and then it got so bad that my shoulders became super hypersensitive. So I couldn't even be touched by like anybody. I couldn't be hugged. I couldn't be touched. It would be, it would just, it would hurt so bad. Um, and then it sort of morphed from the physical symptoms more to the mental symptoms as well as the physical symptoms, but especially as more and more medical professionals didn't believe me, then it just sort of my depression kept getting worse and worse until, yeah, we talk in the book about I ended up in a, um adolescent psychiatric facility on a 17. How many times did that happen? Uh, only once, thankfully, because that it ended up being a, a bad experience that I, I only got worse <laughs> after. Like it wasn't going, you don't usually go into that, you know, environment and heal. Um, and so I was only worse after that. So then thankfully my mom um, was getting some help um, and we kind of were figuring out how to make it so that I could be at home and be safe and, and get the help I needed. That's one of a huge thing that a lot of people don't realize with Lyme disease is how much, I mean, there was, there were times where I would have suicidal thoughts 10 times a day 
yeah. it wasn't because that I didn't want to live. I just didn't want to live life in that type of like pain, that. with that type of hopelessness, with nobody paying, you know, listening to you or believing you. Like yeah. if, if they call you crazy and you know damn well you're not, but you feel like you're losing your mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What was that like for you, Dorothy? Well, During that was, time to have a daughter was, in the psych ward? It was hideous. <laughs> it was very, very hard. And um, you mentioned earlier, you know, cognitive issues. That was that was part of the picture, too, in terms of where she didn't really remember things. You could tell her something and five minutes later she didn't remember it. Or I could read her a paragraph out of a book and a few minutes later she didn't remember that I'd even done that. And uh, one time somebody dropped by and gave her a little toy, uh, like a little green teddy bear. And she didn't, it's like, where did that come from? Every time she saw it, it was like she was seeing it for the first time. And, and so there was that, that was going on about the same time, but the actual experience with the, uh, with the psych hold was really, was really dreadful, was very hard. And she had just started um, Lyme treatment. We had finally gotten to Lyme literate doctor and felt like we were on a, you know, the right path. And I think, frankly, I think it was, it was a herx was part of it was that, you know, she kind of went bonkers, you know, with the herxing. And, and so when I tried to talk to the people at the facility and said, you know, I took this bag of <laughs> medications and supplements and everything, they wanted nothing to do with that. And the the head medical guy said that he used to live in Connecticut. And so therefore he knew all about Lyme disease and this wasn't Lyme disease. I mean, he could tell by looking at her. And, and uh, so it was very clear to us that that was not gonna be a helpful situation. And it was at that time that um, on the recommendation of our doctor, I had gotten in touch with uh, Sandy Berenbaum, who is a, um, was a Lyme literate uh, psychotherapist that mm -hmm. uh, specializes in families with Lyme disease. She's on the East Coast. We were on the West Coast. I thought, how is somebody on the opposite coast going to help us? But she actually did a lot <laughs> and helped us, helped me. Right? She didn't deal with Rachel directly. She, she dealt with me. But it was how I learned how to handle situations and, and that kind of thing. And then Sandy ended up years later being my co-author. We wrote a book called When Your Child Has Lyme Disease, A Parent's Survival Guide, came out a few years ago. Uh, but there's just, um, well, I could go on and on, but you, you asked how was that experience? I think dreadful is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I have a kid who had celiac from a very young age and unexpected, you know, mystery symptoms that doctors couldn't figure out. It only took us about six months to get him diagnosed. It took me 27 years to get me diagnosed. I didn't have a mama bear like you did that fought for me. I kind of had one that dismissed me and, and, and gaslighted me as well. So God bless you for having a, a mama bear the way that you do so that you didn't oh, suffer as very long. lucky. How, uh, how long did it take you to get a diagnosis? It was about nine months. Yeah, about it? nine months, which seems like incredibly long in the moment when, you know, you're going through all of these things and, and being gaslit and, and told that you're making this up and and being having my parents told, you know, like 
don't be coddling her. Don't be letting her use a wheelchair, <laughs> everything. So oh that God. like seemed like a long time, but we know people, you know, that took many, many years to get the diagnosis. So I'm grateful it was at least only <laughs> less yeah, than a year. Yeah. In the in the live yeah. world, that seems short. I know. But when you're living it, it seems really long. Yeah. Well, and I never ended up in a wheelchair. So, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even imagine ending up in a wheelchair. So I, I could, I'm, I believe that would feel like a lifetime, right? Like, especially at 13 being stuck in a wheelchair. You don't know why you don't, you don't have anything that you can tell people this is why, because then it would feel so much better. But if you don't have words to put to what's going on, you know, did Munchausen syndrome ever come up? Did you, they ever look at you like that? Well, you know, that that phrase was never mentioned, but there was definitely times when uh, the, the doctors were looking at me askance. And at one point, because when I started asking questions about Lyme disease, uh, they were like, uh, there were some very important doctors that sat me down and told me that, that I was part of the problem <gasps> because I was, I had this... Uh, one of the medical records said mother has unreasonable, uh, you know, expectation that her daughter has Lyme disease. <laughs> Did was... you lose your shit on them? <laughs> oh my gosh, Dorothy. It was, uh, so, but, but, you know, one of the things, when you're in the midst of it, you think you're the only person in the world that that's happening to. Oh. And then later now with the advocacy work that I've gotten involved with, it happens over and over and over. And that's what has to change. That's what has to change. This can't be the status quo anymore. No, absolutely not. Not in today's day and age of education and awareness. And it is like back when I was going through my diagnosis and treatment back in 2013, it was still fairly not talked about a whole lot. There still wasn't a whole lot. And then now I'm hearing it. Oh, my story. You know, it used to be unique back then, and now it's not so unique. It's everybody yeah. who is finally figuring out they have Lyme disease has a very similar story. Yeah. Uh, and no, and it, it's it's uncalled for. It's ridiculous. And that's part of the reason why I rebranded myself as the Lyme boss and stood in that, in, you know, I drew that line in the sand because, I mean, it was funny. So when I started my practice a couple of years ago, I was just uh, working with like autoimmune and mental health and people who knew me knew my story and they're like, Heather why aren't you talking about Lyme? I'm like, have you met people with Lyme? Like, <laughs> they're complex. They're being called crazy. They're broke a lot of the times. Like, no, I am not working. No. And then like two weeks later, I got smacked upside the head by God one night. And I was like, woke up and I couldn't breathe. And I kind of heard a voice of like, I didn't get you this far to just leave my people, you know, not being able to help. You need to be a beacon. And I was like, okay, fine. But no, and that and that's why we do this, right? It's because there, it is just it's it it shouldn't be happening this day and age. Doctors shouldn't be able to gaslight people this way. We shouldn't be dismissing people. All of it. Nobody should have to go through what you've gone through. Yeah, for as I, long as you did. So uh, this is a great place. We're gonna take a little quick break. When we come back, we're gonna dive deeper in the book and like the things that you did to get better. You know, so don't go anywhere because you'll miss a lot. So, and you're not gonna want to because I'm sure it's even gonna get juicier. And I'm so excited to listen to more about the book, uh, especially because they were your your journal records. Like how amazing that you were journaling during that time. Like, oh, that's incredible. Stay tuned. Lyme disease can be difficult and complex and hard 
I understand I've been there and I try to make things as simply as I possibly can. And that's why I love Dr. Rawls's Vital Plan products um, for dealing with Lyme and mold and co-infections and heavy metals. I have not found another supplement company out there that has put the time and the care and the ingredients together this, that this man has. And the ease of it, you only have to take it twice a day. It's a lot, but you only have to take it twice a day. Um, if you want to find out more on uh, this extremely amazing, potent um, protocol, go to my website, thelimeboss.com, and you'll find it on there. And there's even a discount code. So make sure you go check that out. Dr. Rawls's Vital Plan, you can find it on my website on the resource section. And there is a discount code, so save some money. Go check it out. I absolutely love Dr. Rawls's protocols. Love his books, love everything that he's putting out there. So if you don't know who he is, go check him out. Yay. Welcome back, everybody. Let's dive deeper into, you know, what you did to get better, Rachel. And what did that story look like, that journey look like? And let's talk a little bit more. Let's dive deeper into your book. Yeah. So, um, so which part do you want first, the getting better or the book? Ah, <laughs> uh, getting better. <laughs> okay. So it was, um, so I got sick when I was 13 and then, um, we finally, as we said, after nine months or so, we finally found ourselves, uh, able to work with a Lyme literate doctor who was amazing. The first doctor who ever believed me, whoever sat and listened and actually took notes and like what we said, he just believed just right off the bat, which shouldn't be something you're grateful for, but it was. <laughs> and so, um, so we began working with him. And then, and he had warned us that we went the antibiotic route, uh, which I think back then was also kind of more of the main thing. Now you kind of have all these different routes to go. We went with long-term antibiotics. And um, and so then we had been warned that I was gonna get worse before I got better, but we had no way of understanding how what worse could mean. Um, and so I, pretty shortly after starting antibiotics, just, tanked and got so much worse physically. I was at that point, I couldn't sit up straight or lay down flat and breathe. And so I had to like a hundred percent of the time be in a hospital bed that we'd rented for my room. And so I just was out of school, just in my hospital bed the whole time. My mental health was deteriorating and my cognitive, everything was, everything was just imploding. Um, and so things got really bad. And that's when the psych hospital happened. Um, but then we just kind of kept, kept, kept plugging along and we've tried a bunch of different treatments and it's hard because people are always like, what is, what is the thing you did that got you here? And you say, it we, doesn't work that way. We did everything. And it's hard to tell which things helped. Sometimes you can be like, oh, that made me worse. And then, but sometimes it's like, maybe it helped. Maybe it's a combination, but some of the things that we did were hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy. We talk about that in the book. My mom and I moved, um, two hours away for two months to do, um, hyperbaric every day. And we felt that that helped. Well, my mom felt at the time that it helped my mental and like neurological, mm -hmm. yeah, cognitive issues. I was mostly focused on the pain all over my body, which was not helped by that. Um, but looking back, though, especially looking back in my journal, I can see the difference in after the treatment in terms of um, me not having all the same cognitive issues I was having before. Um, but so 
Then after that, I mean, we did pick line for IV antibiotics and what ended up being the biggest change uh, that was quite obvious was when I began three years after going in the wheelchair, I began working with a special chiropractor that did um, just focused on the very top of the spine. like Atlas. Yeah, the Atlas. Um, yeah. And so he he had been actually seeing a friend of mine who had Lyme and she recommended him. So we began going there and that after 14 treatments, I began walking and it's just like, it turned off the pain. Like it was like everything we'd been doing just wasn't going after the pain. It was like going after everything else. And so when working with him, he was, he did various x-rays and he was able to see that my neck was quite out of alignment. And he was saying that, you know, your brain can't communicate with the rest of your body. So all of these things that you're doing, they're not as effective because you have this block that's not, that's gotta be, um, it's gotta be fixed. And boy, that chiropractic is still extremely important to me to this day for my continued well-being. So that was, that was one of the biggest things that we had did, had done that helped me. That's awesome. And then you brought up a really great point of maintenance, right? So many folks that are like, when can I go back to, you know, fill in the blank? And a lot of times it's like, well, you really can't. Cause sometimes that was the part of the problem that kind of led to this cocktail of you getting sick to begin with. And two, you've kind of got to put some sort of maintenance in place to take care of yourself. I think once we've had this critter so virulent in our body, it really leaves us up to more susceptible to so many things. And we have to be more, uh, you know, be better advocates for ourselves, take care of ourselves differently than, you know, the regular Joe Schmo would. And because otherwise we relapse, right? Or if we have other things come back. So thank you for bringing up that, you know, you're still doing chiropractic care that you didn't just get yeah. better and you stopped, right? Yeah, no, maintenance has been huge. I mean, that's like the key to, a, a for me, to a happy, successful, healthy life is making sure that I stick with my my massage and, and when, I mean, not my massage, my chiropractic and also massage. And like, you know, when things come up, I'll do acupuncture or whatever. And, and getting on top of things, like even like, like, you know, if I get the stomach bug or whatever, like treating it seriously and making sure that I'm, you know, getting nutritional IVs or, or doing whatever I need to do to get over that so that that does not then leapfrog back to uh, <laughs> relapse or something like that absolutely absolutely that's awesome so with your mom already have written a book I suppose that's kind of probably what's inspired you then to get your story out there would that be fair to say or no well no actually so I uh, not that that wasn't fantastic but I um I so I I started my journal when I was 13. It was my mom's idea. You know, life was just falling down around us. We had no idea what was happening and she said, "I think you should start a journal and just document everything, you know, that's going on." And so I wrote in it basically every day, sometimes multiple times a day, and um and I kept that journal throughout the years that I was in the wheelchair and at my sickest and I always wanted to do something with that journal. Like even back then when I was so sick, I wanted to use that some way to help other people, to make them, you know, be able to see themselves in my story. So I always wanted to do something with it, but I didn't know what it was. And I couldn't for many years, I could not like even read it. And so I, I just couldn't do anything with it. So it lay dormant for like 15 years or something. And then finally, 
I just was at a place where it was very challenging to go back and read it and upsetting, but I really, I just had a drive to do it. I really wanted to share my my real story because I've been active on Instagram. My Instagram is resiliently Rachel and I love sharing my story and, and, and like, you know, I documented my life so deeply with pictures and with videos. I would edit videos and all the time just from my hospital bed in my room. And so I had so much footage. So I love editing it together and, you know, making videos for my Instagram, but that wasn't the full story. That wasn't talking about, how dark things got. It had a more positive slant and that's fantastic, but I wanted people to know what actually happened too, because like some stuff went down and I wanted, I wanted it to be documented. That's absolutely, that's awesome. People don't realize like I've off and on started my book and it's going to come out by the end of next year. Mark my words. Oh, but every time I've started it and then I go back and read it, it's, it, 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 it you go right back there and read it's, it. So that, I, it's it, very hard. And that's why a lot of people, so when you see like the Lyme groups and stuff, you won't see a whole lot of people who've been better there answering a lot of questions. It's a lot of newbies. Yes. A lot of folks that once they get better, they're like, I'm out of this chapter behind them. No. And, yeah. and reasonably so like it's yeah. a nightmare to get through. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so kudos to you for, for revisiting that because it is tough. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's revisiting. We worked on the book for all, like almost three years, kind of like two and a half years. And um, I mean, you are just going back to the worst times of your life over and over. And it really, <laughs> your brain doesn't really know that you're a healthy 32 year old. When I'm going back and reading those things, I feel like I'm a very depressed 13 year old. And that is a weird thing to have to deal with for like two and a half years, especially this year was really hard when we signed with our publisher and we had deadlines and it would be like working all day on it. That was, it was, I had to take breaks and, and try to take care of my own mental health and remind <laughs> myself I was well past what that book was. <laughs> right. It's in the past. No, I, not now. I had, had not read Rachel's diary. I knew she was keeping it. Uh, and I, uh, but it was, you know, that was her, that was her thing. She started out writing it in a notebook. Eventually it was, it was on a computer and once in a while over the years, she would share a segment with me. And but uh, but in terms of the whole thing, there there was stuff in there I didn't know in terms of her thoughts and inclinations <laughs> during, you know, during that time. And so it was really just a couple of years ago that she, you know, she was living in Arizona. I was in California. She was saying, you know, I'm going to write my book. And so she came home to visit and she brought a draft of it. Obviously, it's not all 500 pages of the original, you know, you take things and you work with it. And it was, it, it was, it was, it was very touching. And some of it was, you know, a gut punch, but there were parts of the story that she didn't know about her 13 year old self didn't know all of the things that were going on behind the scenes with doctors Hi. and that sort of thing. And so, you know, we talked about that and we finally decided that I would write 
certain passages. So the book goes back and forth. It, it's, it's mostly hers, but then there'll be a passage from me. And the publisher set it up in a way so visually you can tell it's me. You know, it's kind of a shading behind it. Yeah, a shaded box. And a little different typeface. But it allowed us to go back and forth. And I could... Um, I could give the mom's perspective of what was going on. And so I really, I, I, th I think it worked. Yeah. I think that that was makes it that... powerful and, and no one else has done that in the Lyme world. You just gave me goosebumps and almost brought me to tears. Like that's, that's beautiful. And I, I did admit that I have not read the book before this, this, we did this um thing. I, I'm a little swamped right now, sadly. And, um, so I'm learning about this at the same time you guys all are. And yeah, I'm getting goosebumps and being brought to tears because I, that that's just beautiful. Like to be able to fill in the gaps of, oh, actually, this was what was going on, why, why you were feeling this and how differently that puts things in perspective. I just think that is so freaking cool. Yeah, it's it's really <laughs> unique. And we fought for that when we started working with our um, publisher. They were, you know, because it's not the way we did it isn't really, I guess, typically done that way. And they were wanting to either have her be at the end of chapters or have her have her own chapters. And we we fought to be able to go back and forth in real time. And <laughs> and we're really grateful that we did that because it it came out exactly how we wanted it. That's so awesome. Well, you two are badass. I'm excited. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, so, all right. So tell us, um, so then the book came out when? October, like mid-October this year. So it's just been out for a couple. Brand new baby. So yeah, yeah, we're recording this in December. And actually, I'm going to push you guys ahead of the line of some other people. And so it actually will come out in a couple of weeks. Okay, cool. <laughs> but um, so so still pretty baby. So what kind of differences? How is your life different since the book came out? <laughs> well, it's been fun. We've gotten an, an actually a number of reviews, a bunch of people um, reading it and it's, you know, I wanted to write the book specifically because I know as a kid that was sick, I didn't see any representation for my life out there. And I knew that I wanted to be able to like jump into someone else's journal that was in my, you know, living my experience. So I wanted this book to be something like that for people. And we've gotten some really good, some really good reviews um, from people that, um, that it really affected. And so we're I'm, I'm excited about it it's been yeah, fun and yeah. it's just been new and and it's it's just kind of exciting it's also wonderful to be done with it because it's like you know we kept having to read it over and over those last couple months when you know the editors would make changes and I uh I hit my threshold for being able to do that so it's been <laughs> nice that it's out and I can see it and it's beautiful and my husband took the picture that my my face is like cut in half have you have you seen the book like, I have not no oh man you have, okay. do you have one so the yeah. it's in the other room but it's but it's uh grab it. okay I'll go grab it really quick because it's really cool <laughs> no it's exciting though Dorothy so like in the next year when things start to unfold more like what are your kind of goals for the book you know what do you what do you plan on seeing happening well it's just uh you know as she was saying that you know we just really want um we want that voice to be out there and that that when people are looking for things here she's back with this you well you can keep with, saying what you're saying well just that that there is 
You know, I think actually the issues of, of teenagers with mental health challenges and possible suicidality, you know, that is a, that's a huge issue. That is a huge issue. And, you know, certainly probably familiar with the work of Dr. Bransfield, a lot of people with Lyme disease commit suicide. Uh, and and it's that, you know, it, it's it's a hard issue, but one of the, I think one of the real values of this book, it's, it's in the moment. It's what that 13-year-old is thinking about in the moment, even though she's editing it couple of decades yeah. later it's still it, there's that there's that very important voice it's yeah, it's, it's written in a in a 13 year old's voice yeah and and i just think that that is um that that there are a lot of um we need to hear that voice we need to hear those voices and there are other teens that whether it's lyme disease or it's something else there's other teens that have those those kinds of challenges and we have to start normalizing these conversations and 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 stop with the the stigmas and the taboo and the bs because as this society just keeps getting sicker and sicker you know our 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 adolescents are just falling through the wayside and it's 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 deplorable it's it shouldn't be happening let's see that picture let's okay so this is the cover of the book so my husband took this photo and it's hard to tell, but this says, what did it say? May 9th, 2005. This is my actual journal entry. Oh, that's it. cool. Yeah. And so then, yeah, so that's me. And then it's like, it's ripped. So then yeah. you see the journal. I I'm just like, goosebumps. I know. I I just, you don't know. And my favorite color is green, like in a big way. It has nothing to do with lime. My, my favorite color was lime green years before I got lime. It just worked out nicely for when I go to lime events. But like, <laughs> so green is important to me. And so it's very green and it's just, I just love it. It's like ripped. And so it's like, you can kind of see me, but so it just, it's so cool. So now, so I what I was it. saying, I don't have to read it anymore. But I <laughs> look at it. So it sits on my shelf in my office. Oh, and like, yeah, that's yeah. me. That's so. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, I forgot to ask. So did you remember getting a bit by a tick or where did you pick up your little critter? We were, our little critter is such a nice way to put it. Uh, Dexter over there. Um, no, I mean, we did a lot of camping and hiking and stuff, um, but we, I was never aware of it, but I had symptoms that we later went back and kind of looked at. And we think I probably actually had it since first grade. Cause that's when I started having weird symptoms that didn't make mm. sense. So we were never actually aware of a tick bite. And you were in California, right? Right. Yeah. And, and Lyme so, doesn't exist in California, right? Yeah. So we're told. So, yes. So we're told. And we and I mean that's that's in the book. There was, yeah. you know, at one point when we were going through the doctor to doctor to doctor, there was one guy that pretty much threw me out of the office when Ooh. I suggested that, you know, I just asked, you know, could this possibly be Lyme disease? And it was it was a hostile reaction. And I was I was stunned. I was just trying to figure out what was wrong with my daughter. It wasn't, I didn't know that there was anything 
controversial about Lyme disease. I'd barely heard of it before, you know, and you just said, you know, gee, could it possibly be this? And he was like, no, there's none of that around here. And then <laughs> even when we, like we talk about it in the book, like even when we say like, we'd been out of the country, we traveled, we went to Costa Rica, went to Europe, we went all over the place. And, but it's like, I could have gotten it anywhere, but no, there's no Lyme in California. So oh you can't God. have it. Yeah, yeah. Even if you go, you know, like we're saying no. we, 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 we've been to lots of places. Doesn't so matter. Does, doesn't matter. You're here <laughs> wow. now. Yep. Wow. So it made no sense. And wow. and uh, so that, but it, but that's the kind of experience that so many Lyme patients go through. And, you know, I, I write the blog, Touched by Lyme. And uh, one of the, I've been doing it for, I don't know, 10 plus years now, but one of the very first uh, blogs that I wrote was, uh, there's there's no Lyme in, and then in parentheses, I said, your zip code here. <laughs> and it was like, it didn't matter where you were, you were told there's no, there's no Lyme there, there's no Lyme here, there's no Lyme someplace else. And, you know, one of the things that really... Um, uh, surprised me was when, uh, after I wrote uh, the book, when Sandy and I wrote the book, When Your Child Has Lyme Disease, I did a little book tour where I went to Lyme patient conferences and stuff on the East Coast. And, you know, I'd never been to many of these places before. And I talked to a lot of people and there were people that live in Connecticut uh -huh. told me that when they went to the doctor, the doctor said, oh, no, it's not. Couldn't be Lyme disease. You don't have Lyme disease. <laughs> it's not and, named after here. Or yeah, yeah. And so so there's there's something very bizarre going on. And um, in a uh, unrelated thing, years years ago, uh, a neighbor, a, a neighbor of ours, the, the her niece went to uh, Mexico and when she came back she was extremely ill and uh, she ended up being in uh, in um, intensive care and they didn't think she was going to make it through the night and finally they figured out that what she had was um, typhoid mm. and because that she'd apparently picked it up when she was in Mexico well, I remember that happened before we were involved in this, but I still remember that. And I remember thinking, well, I'm so glad. So they gave her the right thing and she made it through the night and she's a healthy person now. I'm so glad they didn't just say, well, there's no typhoid around here. So we don't have to bother to test it for that. Yeah. So just that with people traveling as much as they do, it's so ridiculous to say, to say, you know, it's 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 not here, so it can't be that, as if somebody spends their whole life on one little plot. <laughs> I still can't state. believe that, it, what was it, just a few months ago, the CDC finally recognized the disease that I've had since I was 13 years old. I'm now 45, you know, just yep. now being recognized by the CDC. Like, that barely. blows my brain. Barely, yeah, barely, exactly. barely recognized. <laughs> Blows my yeah. brain. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh. I, I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone sometimes when it yeah. comes to this. Yeah. But you um, know, and and a phrase that that I have uh used a lot uh and other people have used too in writing about Lyme disease is we say that that sometimes uh misdiagnosed by geography. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you can't possibly have it because you're here or there. And and that is you know, that's, a, you know, it's absurd. It's absurd. And, and, uh, but it was, 
Yeah. So, you know, something else that I would like to say, just because um, you haven't read the book yet, so you don't know this is in there. It wasn't just getting her out of the wheelchair that was the end of the line. I mean, she still had Lyme disease and Bartonella. And Babesia. And Babesia. So, I mean, she still needed to have treatment and continued with treatment. But then there were a couple of challenges that came up later that a lot of people are involved with, which one is mold. And it it hadn't, you know, apparently, you know, been a problem in the past. And then suddenly it was in a big way. And then, um, and then the other problem that I'm going to let you talk about. The, My food and chemicals and food. Yeah. Yeah. DNRS. So when we were, when I was treating the mold, um, I suddenly became like, had a lot of chemical and um, food sensitivities that just kind of came out of nowhere. I had not had that before when we were just treating Lyme, but then with doing all the mold detox, you know, my body just kind of, you know, had some issues. Um, and so even after we were done with most of the treating the mold, the food chemical, the food sensitivities and the chemical sensitivities just were getting worse and worse and worse. And my doctor, I had a great medical team and all of my doctors were trying to figure out what to do about it, trying different meds, trying different elimination diets and everything, but nothing was really helping it. And then finally, a number of different people suggested uh, that I do uh, brain retraining, the dynamic neural retraining system. And so I did that and that ended up being a huge uh, piece to the puzzle, uh, specifically for the mold and the food, but also just like it also just sort of helped in terms of just helping consistently having good health. When before I'd had all these weird things kind of always popping up. And then after DNRS, it just kind of became so much more smooth sailing. You're so speaking my language, sister. That's yeah. like the one thing I scream at the top of the lungs that if you do not dial in that nervous system, you will relapse 110%. I did it like the, the good little functional practitioner that I am. I would follow my diet to the T. I would take my yep. supplements. I would do all the things, all the things, all the things. And then six months later, I'd crash and burn and I'd clean yep. myself back up again. And then six months later, I'd crash and burn. Until yeah. I retrained my brain. And so yes. huge piece, folks. And uh, Gupta, DRNS, somatic yep. experiencing work, breath work. Yeah, that's the thing. There's so many different things. And so it's not just, you don't have to do DNRS. That's what I did. But you, there are so many different programs. There's so many different ways. So, yeah. Which one did you do, Heather? So I actually teach somatic experiencing work. I teach breath work and then a lot of bioenergetic work. So like this little guy here has got a stress and anxiety feature that helps retrain the, the system. So I like coming at things from a couple different angles. Yeah. Um, and that's what I teach in my programs. But it's and it's sad because like I had a client once. But he, we're trained, right? We're brainwashed in this industry that there's a pill for every ill. And so anytime my anxiety is through the roof again, Heather, what, what can you, you know, what, what supplement can you give me? And I'm like, did you do your breath work today? Did you do your somatic experiencing work? No. Did you go out and ground today? Did you go out? No. I'm like, I'm not giving you another supplement. Like stop, you know, dismissing this work because it's, it's simple, right? Yeah. It's simple but very effective. And it, it kills me how many people want to just bypass that and go straight. It's to more time consuming, things. you know, yeah, you have to, it, I mean, it, it takes time and dedication. Cause, Oh, I know 
oh, if only there was a pill, like yeah, right? a little DRS pill, take it. I don't right? care. Give me a horse pill. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So that was a huge, that was a huge thing. And I still come back to that when, you know, when bumps in the road happen and it's like, oh, let's bring out our toolbox and let's Amen. do some more stuff like that. So. I just had an MCAS response to Kava and was head to toe covered in hives just three days oh, ago. No. It was nuts. I've never experienced anything like it. And my doctor asked me, because sometimes we can't always see what's right there on the end of our nose. My doctor asked me, what's your stress level like lately? And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So pull back out my tools, right? Where's yep. my breath work? Where's my stress and anxiety? Let's, let's pull. Where's my essential oils? Yep. You know? Oh, I love essential oils. All right. So that's another tool in the toolbox. Um, yep. Yeah. Just all the things. And it's amazing. Just in two days later, I was on steroids for two days and then that was it. And then I've been great ever since. So yeah. Just a friendly reminder every now in your body will give you those friendly reminders. If you're not paying attention and listening, it will, it will make you stop yeah. and pay attention. And so that's kind of the other cautionary tale that we're trying to tell you folks, like folks, no matter yeah. how common a symptom may be, it is never normal, right? It's always your body's check engine light coming on saying there's something wrong. Engine light. I like that. Yeah. So, and all too often we take a piece of tape, you know, and put it over that check engine light with those <laughs> over the counter stuff. Right. And we yeah. keep going until something bigger happens, but yeah. So what's like the one thing that you want to leave people with as we wrap up? And then also, you know, where can people find your book? Yes. So, okay. So they can find our book. Uh, well, everywhere. I mean, it's on Amazon. It's on, you know, Barnes and Noble online, like any online retailer. Um, I mean, if you just type in finding resilience, a teen's journey through Lyme disease, um, it'll pop up. Um, and then what was the other thing you said? Oh, just like the final thing you want to leave somebody with. Oh, Okay. The final thing that I would want to leave you with, um, something that I try to implement throughout my whole life now, and it's something that I started doing uh, when I was sick, was finding things that bring me joy and really trying to make sure that I do those often. And so back in the day, um, something I did that I absolutely loved was filming and editing videos. And I would just do that from bed. And all I, you know, I had my my keyboard and everything on my lap in bed and I could just edit right there. And, um, and I still do that today. It brings me so much joy and I love crocheting and stuff like that. So I definitely think it is extremely vital to find something you can do now. Not that having goals for things you can do, that's fantastic too, but something that brings you joy right now, whether it's coloring or, you know, anything, I think that's extremely important huge huge and that's another thing i can always i always tell people as well cuz i'm guilty type a personality right burning the candle at both ends yeah. and i'm like why am i crashing and burning i don't understand and my husband's like when was the last time you went dancing when was the last time you did blah blah yeah. blah and i'm like i've got too much work to do and yeah so no yeah balanced life is absolutely crucial yes yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Beautiful. This was so much fun, ladies. I so appreciate you joining me today. Everybody else, make sure that if there's one thing that you heard on here that, you know, brought inspiration, that brings you hope, make sure that you share, like, and subscribe, because that is how this information gets out there. And that's how not one other teenager ever has to go through what we've gone through, right? Because awareness is key. Education is key. Prevention is key. So please like, share, subscribe. Don't keep us a secret. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody else, make sure to have a healthy day. Thanks. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode. Even if you found one little piece of inspiring nugget in it, this is how we change people's lives. This is how people get better. This is how people get hope. 
So please make sure that you are liking, sharing, and subscribing. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're not going to want to miss it. And while you're at it, head to my website, thelineboss.com, and make sure you download your free video series, Real Cooking for Real Life. Learn amazing, delicious meals in 20 minutes or less. Learn why and how we cook certain things that are toxin-free, free of contaminants, and, and how to get a delicious, healthy meal under 20 minutes. You're not going to want to miss out. That's thelineboss.com.